Hello, and welcome to The Delicious Truth with Gloria Cotton. I'm Gloria. During this podcast, we're going to cover a variety of topics that are impacting our everyday lives. We'll look at four things for each topic. One, the absolute empirical truth. That's all about the facts and data. Then we'll look at the personal experiential truth. And that's about how those facts and others do and don't show up in people's lives and their experience of them. Next, the consequential, impactful truth. The difference this makes in people's lives. And finally, you'll hear about resources and solutions you can use to empower yourself and others. Today, I have such the privilege of having a conversation with one of the bestest people in the whole wide universe, David Stone. David is my friend. He's my colleague. He is okay. So let me tell you a little bit about David. As we begin to talk about the subject, which is searching for and in a world of or, I want you just to Ponder that and roll those words around in your brain while I tell you a little bit about David. David and I work together in the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that's how I met him in this existence. But I got to tell you, I think I've known him through five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different lifetimes. David is a lawyer. Um, he is a gentle man, father. Um, he has the heart of diversity and love. Um, there are a whole bunch of credentials that he has, but the things that I just shared with you are the most important things I believe about David. And just see how long it takes you to connect with him. I want to welcome you so much to this podcast. My friend, my brother, David Stone. Welcome, sweetheart. Thank you, Gloria. It is beyond a pleasure and privilege to be with you today and to be able to partner with you and connect with you in all of the ways that we do. I know. How fun and yep. how powerful, right? Yep. So searching for and in a world of or, that is such a powerful title and statement. How in the world did that come to you? So... <clears throat> It came to me probably around five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, I think it was where I was at both personally and professionally and where the world was at politically in terms of um, hate perhaps on the rise in terms of one side being positioned against another side rather than alongside another side. Mm -hmm. um, and my realizing sort of how pervasive the idea of one side versus another side is, or one choice versus another choice is. And certainly my journey from law to mediation to diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant was reflective of so sort of a world of war to a world of and. And then I think what really crystallized the topic for me was appreciating uh, in our clients and in my life how or can trap us, can impede us, can get in our way. 
and really thinking about the ways in which we understand or we default to or we imprison ourselves because of ors and we could talk about what what i mean by ors mm-hmm. and thinking about where can we move towards and where can we move towards additional possibilities expansion growth where can competing interests coexist how can competing interests coexist and what can we do when we shift from that world of or to a world of and not giving up or cuz some ors are super important some ors are super important but being really mindful of when we're using or and when we're using and so let's talk about what does and mean what does or mean what does it mean yeah so or is basically a conjunction used to acknowledge or present choices Mm-hmm. Good or bad, Cubs or Sox, you know, plaintiff versus defendant, right? We we have it almost everywhere. Tribune versus Sun Times, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many ways in which we position the world, and we and our brain integrates the world in a context of choices, competing choices, where we presume we can only have or like one. I mean, how often do people ask you? You know, you're a Cubs fan or a Sox fan, right? How often does that happen? And here in the city of Chicago, all the time. Now, I'm either a Cubs fan and a Sox fan or neither really, right? But the world is set up where we're going to presume that I'm one of those. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, that's a seemingly benign example, except for oftentimes there's all sorts of things that are presumed in that or that are in addition to... Cubs or Sox. It could be about North side, South side. What race am I? It could be something around my gender or gender identity. I'm a man, so I'm going to like sports, right? And so we find ourselves looking at these oars oftentimes with cultural assumptions, um, cultural expectations. And so we have both fixed choices and all sorts of, of presumptions that that sort of lock us into those notions of fixed choices that don't have to be. They don't have to be. It's so limiting. That's what I get. It mm. is so limiting. And I don't understand why we put that corset upon ourselves. I remember mm. saying to somebody recently, I said, baby, I am not a rice cake. Okay. I have way too much flavor. I mean, (laughs) what is no matter how much I love pork chops and I do no matter how much I love German chocolate cake. And I do that is not the only thing that's in my diet. How boring would that be? So why do we limit ourselves in our thinking? If I like this person in my life, then I can't like somebody else. If I, why do we limit? Why do you think we limit ourselves? Well, I think it's a combination of limiting ourselves and the world limiting our uh, the way that the world is set up, right? I think that you know ideas around you know, it could be monogamy. Not that we don't have to get into that, but sort of like are we supposed to only have one lover? Are we supposed mm-hmm. to have only one partner? And mm-hmm. is there, are those partners supposed to be for life? Mm-hmm. Right? Or it could mm-hmm. be it could be that. Mm-hmm. Um, language around best friend, 
Mm-hmm. Right. This is my choice rather than who are my people? Mm-hmm. I mean, the word that you use when we began this conversation, who are my people rather than this is the best, mm-hmm. this is the one. Mm-hmm. Again, not that there's anything wrong with the one, mm-hmm. but what are there, or and I should say instead of but, and what are the implications of living in a world where we consistently reinforce that there's one? Mm-hmm. And only one. It's and not only one. It's only one. Yeah. You have to be this or that. I remember when um, I divorced my now ex-husband, some people, bless their hearts, were saying, well, um, you know, I guess you it's, it's good not to love him anymore. And I wrestled with that for a little while because I'm like, okay, this man is the father of my children. And what does it say about me if I chose somebody that was so totally ridiculous as a human being to stay married to for 25 years? I mean, what's up with that? Mm. So I was like, you know what? We don't need to be married anymore. Mm. And I love him. Mm. You know, I mean, it doesn't mean now. And I'm not saying that everybody with your ex partners, you have to love them. I'm, but with me, I didn't want somebody else telling me I had to choose. If you're going to be divorced, then that means you cannot love anything else about that person. That's crazy. Yeah. As if love only comes in one form or one Thank manifestation. You. Thank or you. Family only comes in one form. Do you really need to be to have a romantic relationship to be family with people? Because for the most part, we're family with people, but then we don't have a romantic relationship. Hello. So it's a presumption you. that when that ends... We're no longer family. And that's insane. Why would you cut yourself off from that love? So where does this come from? This, this, because it seems to be ancient that people have been taught through different cultures that you have to choose just the one, just a one. You know, I, I think it comes from a, a couple of things. One a feeling of security and clarity. If I know who my one is or what the one choice or answer is, I feel more secure. I feel more stable. I feel like that may be socially acceptable. Mm. So if I do that, mm-hmm. things may be easier for me. Mm-hmm. I know in my own life, I very much followed some of those sort of, these are your choices. So to choose one of them, because that's what's, ex- what's expected of you. So I think that that that's part of it. That is so crazy. Cause I know you and I know that you are not rice cake. You, <laughs> <laughs> you are not rice cake. How do, so what can we, how, what does this mean to you? How does this show up in your life? How does this show up in your life, personally and professionally? So I think one of the most important shifts for me has been the ability to inhabit and. You know, we talked earlier about ors being mm-hmm. choices and and being another conjunction, right? Two conjunctions that we use all the time. And and being this other conjunction, which is about adding possibilities, adding options, an additional way of describing. And I think as I've gotten older and more confident and frankly, more accepting of myself, 
I have been able to use and more consistently, more comfortably, more authentically. And I think for me, that's enabled me to help identify ways to move forward that I didn't think were possible, both in my family and my professional life. And I think it helps our clients think differently about what their possibilities might be. So here's what I'm getting for the very first time. Or is about loss of something. If we want that loss or not. Mm. Or is you're losing something. And and is about more. And is more. So broadening, strengthening, not weakening. Yeah. And I think, I think that resonates. And I think for me, it could be about either losing something or protecting something. It could be a boundary. I think stating who we are and who we're not is a form of or that's important, right? So it may be, and we may be losing a perspective because of that. And I think, or (laughs) I hope this doesn't get confusing. I think, or can help construct healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. See, and I would say the way I'm wired, I would say, and yes, Mm -hmm. I love you. And we're not getting ready to do that. Okay. Mm. Um, And so it, 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 and is really, really powerful to me. How, how did you get clear about the ands? How did you, and what did you have to go through if you want to share? Yeah, I think my own acceptance of myself as gay was really instrumental for me in terms of making this shift from or to and. I... In, 19, in 2011, I was 40 years – or 2010, I was 40 years old. The beginning of 2011, I was 40 years old, and I was married to a woman, Andy, with two kids, Sarah and Eli, uh, that were in our the center of our world. And during that year, 2010 to 2011, I was in a funk. I didn't understand the funk. We had actually had a – flood in our apartment. We had to move out of our apartment to a hotel for seven months. And as we were moving back and we were finishing this apartment, sort of create recreating sort of the structures, the foundation of our family life, I got more and more depressed and anxious. Mm. And I didn't understand why at the time. As a matter of fact, you know, I thinking about my own sexual orientation, I, I, I was so deeply in denial about being gay that when people would ask me if I were gay or suggest that I may be gay, I was so in denial that I would say, no, I'm somewhere on the continuum, but who cares? Because if I were gay, I would just say it. And so that, in fact, wasn't my understanding of myself at the time. But at, at, at in that year, really at the beginning of March of 2011, I came to accept myself as as being gay. And by far and away, the hardest part of my acceptance was knowing that all of so many of the people that I loved most in my life were going to experience some form of pain and transition because of my acceptance. Mm. And certainly Andy 
Sarah and Eli, my parents. And in many ways, I had constructed a life that was very much predicated on fulfillment of ors of my childhood. And my being gay was going to perhaps dismantle some of those ors. And when I say ors of my childhood, I grew up in a super loving, warm, and opinionated Jewish family who had this idea about what I was supposed to be that I accepted without any questioning, which was I was supposed to be, when I grew up, a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, or preferably two of those three things, just like my father was. I was supposed to get married to a woman, preferably or hopefully by the time I was 25. And I was supposed to have two to three kids and I was supposed to make enough money so that my wife could stay home and take care of my children. And when I say I thought I didn't have any choice in that, it seems preposterous from my enlightened 2020 perspective. And frankly, even where my parents are at this point. And that was the reality of my childhood. That was the reality of my childhood. And I, 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 and I did it, by the way. By the time I was 28 or 20, by the time I was 30, I'd graduated from Columbia Law School. I'd gone to Brandeis University. I was married to a wonderful Jewish woman. I forgot to tell you that was part of the equation too. Um, and we had two kids and I was unhappy. Right. I was unhappy. I wasn't myself yet. Now my first sort of the first source of unhappiness was really the first, my first understanding of the unhappiness was my being a lawyer, my practicing law, I should say my practicing law. That wasn't me. And I tried super hard for over a decade to try to make that work. And it was like putting a square peg in a round hole. Um, but I kept at it. And why did I keep at it? Cause I didn't think I had choice, right? Cause there was that or playing in, in order to be successful, in order to be a good Jewish boy, I had a main, and my, I went to law school. I had clients. I had to be a lawyer. Again, a first world form of imprisonment for sure, or perceived imprisonment or self-imprisonment or self-containment and a very real form of it because I really didn't think I had choices. So a, a couple of things that I'm hearing, many of us, don't really know who we are or what we want because we're so busy trying to fulfill the wishes and dreams and hopes of people who love us, mm. people who love us unconditionally in their minds, mm. uh, people who don't want to hurt us or would not ever want us to go through anxieties. But that's what happens. And I'm thinking of uh, some African cultures that I know of and the relationship that I, I don't know if this is ancient or if this happens now, but the relationship that they have with children before they are born, even to do ceremonies about what is the child's name, asking the child, what is your name? What are you here to do? And 
um, even in our indigenous tribes, many of them will commune with the child, not to put on the child, but to ask the child, what is it that you're here to do and how can we best support you? I'm wondering what our society, what our culture in America and the Western world would be if we listened more Mm. instead of telling people who they have to be. So how can we do that? What, What advice can you give that we can even entertain and then teach our children that and is out there? You know, I think part of listening more and, you know, sort of the idea of listening before you speak or listening more than you speak is giving up a certain power and control. It's relinquishing some of that. Hmm. And I think that many of us are uncomfortable with that because we're so afraid. We're so afraid of the unknown and perhaps pain and uncertainty, right? The vulnerability. I think we have this profound fear of vulnerability. Like, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't think my parents, my father was not thinking I should be a lawyer or a doctor, an accountant, because he really thought those were limiting. Lim, those were my limited choices, but he wanted stability for me. He wanted security for me. And this is how he found it. He was super poor. He didn't have a father growing up. And so he was able to find security. And so he just projected that onto me, not realizing that even if I were to attain financial security from this, it wasn't secure for me because it was eating me up on the inside. Yeah. So I think oftentimes we're not coming from a bad place. And so to listen more, to, to relinquish more, accept both limited control and uncertainty will, would help us support where that other person is and what their possibilities might be. So what are some of the key things about searching for a world of and, searching for and in a world of or? What are some of the key things that we have to keep in mind? One of the most important things in searching for and, and I think this I really appreciated at after I came out and I think the world was thinking that Andy and I were going to, the world are sort of our little Jewish community, uh, sort of our liberal Jewish community on the North side of Chicago. Um, They thought that there was only one way for us to navigate this situation, which was be for Andy and I to run to divorce lawyers Mm -hmm. and for that us to erode our sense of the family and for us to do that quickly. Cause you should know what's going to happen in your life. Right. And, and literally when I say like people would say stuff like that to us and, and what we decided very purposefully to do, and I I hope I'm not answering your question in a roundabout way is say, actually, we're not going to do that. We are going to embrace the uncertainty. Mm Mm-hmm. Embrace it. Not that it wasn't excruciating. It was. But we said we are not going to make any long-term decisions Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right mm -hmm, now. mm -hmm. And that acknowledging this, we're in for the long haul. 
was liberating in many ways. This is not the time to decide what our living arrangement is going to look like in the future. We don't need to figure out all of our financial. We were tempted to. There were, of course, we had all of those questions, but we decided really purposely we weren't going to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So taking time, embracing the uncertainty, the unknown. And then the other part was transforming our relationship. Sort of what you were talking about with Cotton you know, Andy and I still loved each other. We still love each other profoundly, deeply. And we said, instead of focusing on answering all those questions, let's figure out how we're going to love each other differently and live differently. Mm -hmm. Understand how we got here and how we want to move forward. And once we have that figured out, then we'll be in a position to tell our kids to make some additional decisions around. But frankly, we decided deliberately we are going to transform who we are as a family. We're not going to erode it. And we are going to be a family that's based on love, continuity, shared experiences, and living the rhythms of our lives together. And that's what we did. And it was very much from a place of, or there's only one way to be divorced to, you know what? That definition doesn't include mom's house, dad's house, living arrangements or anything like that. It doesn't include who's going to pay for what, you know, and those are important functions of family. Don't get me wrong, but that's not how we have to define our family for our children or for our community. Mm. That's us private anyways. So I'm thinking this concept Looking at the division in our nation right mm. now mm. because of so many things. Mm. Politics is only one of mm. the ways that we are looking at oars. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not on this side of the aisle, you're either on this side or that side. Mm -hmm. You're either in support of black people. Or white people. Or black people or police. Or, or, thank you. I mean, what is the, we limit ourselves so that we cannot, why do we have to throw out the good with the bad? Well, not only do we limit ourselves, Gloria, we actually position ourselves against one another when we do that. Yes. Yes. So instead of building peace and expanding possibilities, we actually, you know, nudge ourselves towards a certain warfare to that to that kind of positioning by some of that language, right? You know, and and so I think finding ways to have those different efforts, positions, perspectives coexist. That's what we do. That's what we do for work. Mm -hmm. How can we help some of those coexist? Not all of those. Mm -hmm. This is where or is important. I am not interested if somebody, uh, you know, a Ku Klux Klan member who, because I'm, uh, you know, I, I, you're. That's not about peace build, peacemaking, or peace building, or mm -hmm. community building. If you mm -hmm. want to kill me because of my race or gender or sexual orientation or religion, you know what? Mm -mm. No, no, that's a different. No, it's, that's not even an or. That's a plain no. Yes, yes. it is. Yes. It's a glory cotton. No, 
That's right. That's right. Not only no, but hell no. It is that's exactly. It is that's what I was getting at. That's absolutely. what I, I wonder where hell fell in the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the host, and I said it. So there you go. <laughs> and I repeated it accidentally. Okay. So, but I think I think that supports the end. Yeah. I think those definitive, uncompromising no's actually support our ends. You know what? I am. I am not Jewish. And I stand for all people, including mm-hmm. Jewish people. I am not Latinx. I am not Latina. But you know what? Not on my watch because Latin people and Black people and mm-hmm. white people and Asian people and gay people and straight. It's, it's a whole bunch of ands going on for me. And if you are an or... When it comes to discrimination against certain people, you need to know. Mm. I love you. Get away from me. Mm. <laughs> I know. I know. And you're, so good. you're so good with the I love you and get away from me. I'm really more in the get away from me camp. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm and. I'm <laughs> you're and. Her. I'm a little bit like, do I have to love you? I really love you. <laughs> But that's I love you and no. No, yeah, yeah. I love you and no. So, what what do we need to tell our children? What do we need to tell our children so they're not going through the same angst in their lives that many of us have experienced by the limitation of an inappropriate or. I think, and I certainly try to do this as a parent, which is um, the most rewarding job I've ever had and one of the more most difficult jobs I've ever had. I think it is helping our kids understand what ands mean for them and what ors mean for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think part of that is also being honest about our own relationship with where do we build on. And part of that is you know, showing what our limitations are, what we're not committed to doing, right? I mean, frankly, you know, our ors, even though our definition of our family is very much an and, there's ors that slide in there. Like when Andy and I are dating, if somebody looks at our family and says, I wouldn't want you to do X, Y, and Z, they're out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're not interested in that. If you're interested in coming in here and telling us how much Andy and I should be talking on a daily basis and you're threatened by the fact that Andy and I still talk every day, you're not. That's right. That's the norm. And so I think modeling some of that for our kids uh, and then helping them understand it for themselves. And the harder part here, I think, particularly maybe my kids is, not the harder part, but the more essential part is finding, helping them find Anne's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, sir, you don't have to go to college next year if you don't want to go to college next year. You know, sir, I'm noticing that you're on a treadmill, you know, to do every, you don't have to finish every, you don't have to finish everything by the time you're 22. Offering some of those perspectives as a way of opening up possibilities. Now that's, where my kids are at, if I had different kids, I may be offering some ores, right? Mm-hmm. Pointing out more often, oh, the risk of that might be, or the risk of that might be. And ultimately, it's still your decision after a certain point. Mm-hmm. Right? But, you know, my kids are 18 and 20. They're 
most decisions at this point are theirs. Yes. If I'm not paying for it or we're Indian are paying for it for the most part, they're theirs. <laughs> you know, I, we hadn't planned on going to the application and impact on children, but I'm just, I am so overwhelmed almost to what are we teaching our children? What are we, what are we role modeling for them? And I am struck with how many of them are killing themselves. Um, how many of them are taking drugs, not recreationally, but because of escapism. Numbing, numbing. How many, how many yes, numbing. And I'm just, it's, it's one thing for adults. And I think we need to look at, you know, living and, and searching for and in a world of or. I think we need to. But I am really, really struck with the mounting tension and hatred that is out here. And I'm just wondering, how can we apply this? And maybe you can write something about it. I don't know. So that we can save our children. Because we're killing them with these oars. We're killing ourselves too. But we old, okay? But we're killing these young children, young, not even double digit age children, are killing themselves because they're so feeling the pressure of our not searching for ands in a world of war. Yeah. And, and I think, um, so a couple of things, and I certainly, uh, don't have many concrete answers here, but some thoughts about what might be helpful. Um, one, I think rethinking how we use social media, mm. both as adults and how we encourage our kids to use social media. Cause there's a lot of or and hateful or that goes on in social media. Yeah. And I think there's also all sorts of limiting. This is what beauty looks like. This is what success looks like. This is what popularity looks like mm -hmm. in social media that re that reinforces itself. Now, by the way, I don't know what this means. I mean, like just explaining that to our kids and encourage them to have perspective, depending how old they are, may be the best we can do. I mean, I can't take away my kids' phones anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's... Uh, um, but I think talking really overtly about that and role modeling how we think of it and how we use some of those platforms. I think the other thing that we can do is take accountability for and responsibility for the oars that we may have let go on for too long. And that we should have done something about sooner. And um, yeah, I think, I think that, can help. Um, and I, at the end of the day, I, I mean, the increase of anxiety, the increase in depression, the feelings of worthlessness and aimlessness that so many of our young kids have, um, you know, in our work, we helped people find or cultivate communities of, and cultures where people can feel a sense of place, a sense mm. of feeling included, a sense of belonging. And in many ways, that's what we can try to do, perhaps in a micro context in our individual communities and our families, as we try to do it in a broader context. So 
as we are winding down, can you believe it? Oh my gosh. To the end of this conversation, let's leave our listeners with some tips okay. um, of hope because I'm, I definitely know that this darkness, that this shadow world that we have created and we're living in does not have to be. Mm. I think that lives within a world of hope, within a world of light, within a world of love. Mm. So thinking about what we tell our clients or what we tell our kids or whatever, whoever it may, other human beings, what advice, what tips can you give people so we're not victimized by ands or ors? I think maintaining curiosity all the time, even when you think you're certain being curious about additional possibilities or expanding that or the limitations of your certainty, just really curiosity Mm -hmm. is incredibly important in order to find how you want to use and and also perhaps where you don't want to use or use or or where you do want to use or mm-hmm. so curiosity mm-hmm. acknowledge uncertainty acknowledge it live in it don't pretend like it's not there and don't try to make things certain that aren't certain that's another things we can do with our kids by the way when uncertainty exists we got to be honest about that uncertainty and then the last one is focus on our relationships. First focus. with self. First with self. First with self. Then also with those we love. And then also with those that, I mean, and I said it earlier, those that we don't love. We are in this together. Oh. The only way that we can build bridges and get to an expanded sense of who we are as a nation, as a world is to recognize that this is about each of us and all of us. And we have to find ways to coexist. We have to find ways to coexist. Mm -hmm. So focusing on those relationships. And when we're focusing on those relationships that we don't agree with, don't go to the places we don't agree with first, find ways to agree, find our common humanity, Mm -hmm. find common interest in, in, in food, in art, in sports, whatever it may be, and then use that commonness to then go to curiosity to understand them a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. So I think relationships. I think that is relationships that are filled with positivity, respect, and I'm going to just say love with <laughs> all in all of its different forms and formats. Yeah. You know, to really seek that. How about that? If we go on a treasure hunt, you know, and focus on those things, what I hear you saying, focus on those things. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, remember years ago when you told me that professionally I was all about love and I took it a little bit as an insult because we were at a financial institution in New York and I was like, I'm supposed to be all this like intellectual and I'm like, love, love. And yes. And going back to your your last point, loving yourself yes. enables you to love others in a different and richer kind of way. 
And I think going towards and and an expansion of, of, of what that can look like helps to cultivate that and build that. It does. We need one another as human beings in order to do that. But if there is no one around us, then we have to find ways to put that mask on ourselves, mm-hmm. to hold the space of love for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And celebrate the interdependence, but not the dependence of somebody else to love me so I can love myself. Mm. What a hot mess that is. If you don't love me, then I'm not loved. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> and you were you were born in the world with that idea, Glow. You were uh, uh, you came to us that way. Some of us weren't so lucky. <laughs> I, know, I know. I am blessed to have family. That's friends who are family and family who are friends. Hmm. Like you that just flat out love one another can We've had a few disagreements in the 15 plus years that we've known each other. Yeah. But it's been fun <laughs> mm, mm. talking about the things we disagree on because love has always mm. led the way. And I think we search for and when we disagree, Gloria. And I think even before we came up with that language around it, we have always done that. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I've that, always done that. That's really good. When you are arguing with somebody, look for the ands that draw, draw you together. You're arguing that pushes you apart, but what are the ands that bring you together? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my mercy. This has been such a delicious meal. I want this is not an appetizer, baby. <laughs> This was, oh my, this was a seven course delight. (laughs) So I want to thank you so much for being with me, having this conversation. I hope that somebody gets some love from it. And if they do or not, and I know they will. David Stone, I want you to know one thing. There's a hug in your <laughs> if you want one or two or three or four or five or six. <laughs> after after this pandemic, we are gonna have to have a couple hundred. I know, and, 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 and I'll take it all. I'll take it all, and I love you too. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you again, Gloria. Wow, we went to some deep places today, didn't we? On this episode, yes, we did. And here's some things taking away from this episode. The limitlessness of our hearts and our minds. The fact that we are ands. We are ands. Look at what additional things are there already in your life. What are you denying yourself, keeping out of your life? Welcome those things in for yourself, those ands. Brandy's, my producer says, why settle for a single serving when you can have a whole buffet? I want that whole buffet. And we have that. We come to the planet with that. It is about seeing it in ourselves and others. Not limitation. And facing those limitations with ands. Let a limitation be a starting place, not an ending place. I see a limitation that I have put on myself that others have put on me. You know what? Let that be a starting place. They have said this. They have said, I can only do this. And what else? 
just use that sentence, just and, and see where that takes you. I think there is an opportunity to discover newness, places we've never gone within ourselves and with each other. That How about that for discovery? Let's go on a wonderful trip where we're looking for treasure in each other and ourselves. If you do that, I think you'll find so many hugs in your future that you're giving yourselves and others that you won't even, you'll say, Gloria, who? But just know that however many hugs you have for yourself, I always have more for you. Because you know what, darling? There are hugs in your future if you want them. Bye-bye.